This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian and inactivist Dennis Miller, his guy Friday Christian Blatt, and superstar producer Lindsay Floyd. And now, it's him, Dennis Miller. Hey, folks. What'd I do this weekend? Oh, and we do we have a guest today, Christian. We do. Guest. Yes, there's a it's director named Todd Robinson. Today. It's a uh, military Todd film. Todd Robinson. Yeah, called The Last Full Measure. It's a, It was an interesting uh, military story that was brought to me by one of our one of our most loyal publicists. Can you give me a rudimentary sense of it? Yes, it is. Uh, oh, wait, here, I find some notes. Um, <laughs> I was just going to read the same notes, but. On a rescue mission in 1966. Yeah. Well, there's more to it than that, but that's the backdrop of oh, a present day. They were uh, vetting this man for a Congressional Medal of Honor. And he did not get one at the time, so uh, his family would like that. Uh, he uncovers a high level conspiracy behind mm -hmm. a decades long denial of the medal. And one of my favorite actors ever plays the gentleman in question, Mr. Pitzinger, or what, what is his. Uh, well, uh, William H. Pitzinger. Uh, it, played by Bill Hurt. That's the the friend uh, who really spearheads the thing is uh, is William Hurt. Yes, that uh, okay, definitely great. caught my eye that uh, William Hurt was in this film. So it's like an infinitely more consequential, uh, say, for instance, at the NFL Hall of Fame. They always have somebody who goes in and <laughs> yeah. pitches you. Yeah, well, you know. It's like, well, it's this like is, that, but for a real hero. This is why Jimmy Johnson needs to be in. But like if Jimmy Johnson were, you know, a, a, a man of consequence on the battlefield as opposed to just the gridiron. Bill Cower seems uh, like a nice enough man to me. I don't know. Yeah, but, I agree. Or, uh, an amiable enough sure. work on TV. I, I'm, I, I'm wondering what the criteria is to get in the Hall of Fame now. He has one Super Bowl, right? Mm -hmm. And I would just think in coach speak... Coach is a result business, and uh, until Tom Flores gets in, who has two, I don't understand how they go to the ones. Like, what what did Jimmy Johnson, uh, or not Jimmy Johnson because he has two, but what did Bill Cower exhibit? W with a coach thing, couldn't you do a blind tasting test in Braille where you put, like, uh, two slashes next to names yeah. and one slash next to names, and you just ran your fingers down with a blindfold on, and when you felt the two... Uh, marks of Arnie, Arnie Sacknessum, uh next to a coach's name, you'd put that person in and then take the blindfold off and go, oh, Tom Flores, that's right, he had two. Yeah, I think But uh, I, I guess, I don't know. I think Cower could get in, but I'm surprised that everybody who coached two Super Bowl winners is not in before you get to the one Super Bowl winner and uh, on TV guy. I think it's the that's on TV that helps. Yeah, but, but I'm just saying that's uh, that's all of uh, fame. But the, there is a caveat that uh, it would help if Tom Flores was on a Sunday morning show. But what do you do? I mean, it's not a big extragram, but I'm, I'm a little surprised because if I was going through coach guys and there was somebody still sitting out there who had won two Super Bowls yeah. and wasn't in the Hall of Fame as a coach, I'd say, well, when did we start going to the ones? All right, what I do this weekend, I saw the greatest of all time, sat behind the GOAT, at the Conor McGregor fight. Nice. It's like, uh, it's so funny, like when guys walk in, uh, ludicrous, <laughs> uh, you know, there are guys who raise a uh, huzzah in the crowd. Matt sure. McConaughey gets a big reaction. Uh, Hawkman came in, not as big, but, you know, he wasn't really playing up the, you know, it's not like Jeremy Renner came to the fight in a Hurt Locker suit if he wanted to uh, really attract attention and yeah. walked in in that. I get, uh, was Jason Patrick in a car wreck? That's what I get. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, the car wreck has called his career. <laughs> but uh, when Brady walks in, oh, <laughs> man, I can't tell you what, with his posse, I think I was sitting, uh, I was right behind Tom and to the right of him was a smaller guy who I think in the interim I figured out is his alkaline uh, hating trainer. Oh, sure. And then he had a guy with him who I was chatting up. He was from Brazil. And his wife, he told me, went to my college, Point Park College in Pittsburgh. And, well, you know, it's a small college. I was surprised. So uh, we were chatting that up a little. And then later I figured out, I mean, possibly it was Tom's brother-in-law or something, because Giselle's from Brazil, right? Correct. Yeah, so I didn't quite put that together there. But he was a very nice guy. And then... Uh, 
He had another couple guys with him that I did not uh, get to chat up, but it was just funny. Brady is, uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> you talk about being a big star, man. That entire arena, you just start here. <laughs> and then he's so nice to people. You can see everybody comes up to him. They want to kiss the ring or they've met him before. It seems like he knew absolutely everybody. And a super cool guy. I can just tell you, he's such a well-mannered man. And uh, received everybody with the same degree of elan. And uh, he deserves to be Tom Brady because I think he's very Tom Brady-esque. The actual Tom Brady is what I'm saying. So the fight was Conor McGregor. God, I can't tell you the buzz in that room, Christian. Unbelievable. And I like Daniel Cerrone. The Cowboy's a good cat. But uh, it, I, I had the perfect seat. I was in the second row, right on the side where he and Conor meet. And Connor shoulders his nose, and I see his nose break. Oh. Like, you know, I'm that close. And all of a sudden, you know, he looks startled, like he's having trouble breathing alone. Uh, you know, he steps back, he's gathering himself, and Connor, who's smaller than him, it looked like a good two inch difference or something, two to three. Uh, but Connor just clips him. You could not clip somebody with a, uh, you know, your knuckles any more precisely than his foot clipped his button. Boom, out. And then on top of him, and uh, just like he's making steak die, steak Cerrone, you know, boom, boom, <laughs> boom, flattening it with his mallet hands. And uh, the place just went bats. I, you got to really give it to McGregor for answering the call. Uh, he had been away for 15 months, I think. The last time I saw him, he just got stomped on TV by Khabib. And I'm not sure he wants to fight Khabib again, nor do I think that he has to for my edification as a fan. Uh, maybe he wants a piece of that, but Khabib's a smotherer, a beast. Anytime they come in in that Denny, what was his name? Not Denny Dillon, Danny Dillon. Who was the side man in the Mamas and the Papas? He used to wear that fur hat under the Sullivan show. Khabib wears that hat around. And if you're not in the Mamas and the Papas and you're wearing that hat, you're an Eastern Bloc motherfucker coming into that, you know, ring with that Zhivago sitar music. You know, where Jivago's humanity was represented by the red triangular sort of guitar that he carried with him. That was the last vestige of color and joy in his life. And, uh, you know, it plays that plinky zitherer music like at the end of the third man. And Khabib comes into that sort of shit. And as soon as you hear that, if you're not dealing with either Carol Reed from the third man or Ravi Shankar <laughs> or... Uh, the side man from the Mamas and the Papas on the Sullivan Show, you know you're about to get your ass kicked. I believe you're so speaking you of it. Denny Doherty. Denny Doherty? Yeah, I wanted to overpronounce it for the sake of... Uh, all right. Um, so, yeah, he always had that fur hat on. I, I think there was a head of Iraq who wore that hat or Afghanistan for a while. Remember that crazy fucker? He always had that hat on that looked like a furry Beverly Center. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's... Remember those old ads for the Beverly Center where the hat looked like a uh, trans-oceanic vessel? And he wore furry one of those. So there's my start for today. Lost yet? <laughs> uh, so the fight was great. And uh, went with my two sons. Dinner beforehand outside New York, New York at the Shake Shack, Christian. Oh, yeah. Now oh, you're talking. Oh, come on. Can't go wrong. Had the Shack Burger, of course. With the uh, I can't order Shack sauce since I, uh, I I watch Shaquille O'Neal and the get to the general on the dollar. You know, I always think mm -hmm. yeah, no, you can't you can't good conscience say the phrase Shack sauce. I get it, I get it, right? Because you never know where you end up. Yeah, yeah. don't Google Shack sauce. No, 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 no. And I said the Shack Burger. The fries are surprisingly good, aren't they? They're they're amazing. I love those fries. Absolutely. I had a lemonade that literally you could dock a Hobie cat in. It was so <laughs> big. I could have put the dock from the beginning of Prince of Tides over, <laughs> and the kids could have went swimming in my lemonade to not hear their parents argue. Uh, that scene wipes me out. Have you seen that lately? Not lately, no. I think I just saw no, At the beginning, the kids' uh, parents start to fight, and the way they escape it is to... Uh, I got to give Streisand great dramatic kudos for that scene. I'm not a huge fan of her directorial skills. 
uh, sometimes seem a little heavy-handed, but maybe that was the appropriate place for heavy-handedness, to have children escape the shouting of their parents by diving underwater, and then, you know, they go into the slow-mo with the uh, bubbles uh, being expunged from the lungs, and she comes up full with that beautiful uh, theme song. It doesn't work as well later when you come in and Nick Nolte's in. but it's quite beautiful there so i had a huge lemonade and then the three of us split a whatever their uh equivalent of a chicago dog is they don't call it that they have some variation on it but uh one of my favorite uh condiments is on the chicago dog christian we've had it when we go to uh portillo's yeah sport peppers oh don't you love the sport pepper? It's some little hybrid, folks. It's a, it's like a, a pepperoncini sea monkey where you have to add water to it or add brine to it to, for it to expand into full pepperoncini. But it's a little sport pepper. I don't know what to say. It's like putting your, your jaguar into sport mode. Uh, you, know, you can roll it around mm-hmm. your tongue, work with it. <laughs> By the way, it's called the Shack Cago Dog. So yeah. uh, you were very close. <laughs> so we no. split one of those three ways. And I found it to be cold. I've had that dog with you before. Remember yeah. I had that crisis of conscience where you and I went to a Shake Shack and I decided I was going to go off the reservation and try right. to grow as an artist, as they say. I tried to talk Push you out the of outside that. of the, Hey, fucker, <laughs> I'm, I'm riffing. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I had pushed the outside of the uh, envelope, well, the pre-moistened bun in this case, and uh, and I looked at you, and you were enjoying, you had a shack shack burger in front of you that looked so good, and I said, what am I doing, Christian? I I didn't know. What am I doing? And you said, "Um, some sort of midlife crisis, (laughs) because you ordering a hot dog at Shake Shack is the equivalent of you pulling up to a... uh, black light bowling night for teens in a Corvette Stingray with a man bun. <laughs> Come here. Let me give you some kibble because I think that's your real laugh. That's yeah. like, Go, go. Okay, I got a little real. Give me the fake one. <laughs> now, see, I can tell. That was the fake one. But give me a really good fake one where oh. the, you try to make your fake one sound like your real one because I, I got the real oh, one okay. in my head right now. It's fresh. <laughs> That's better. Yeah, it goes but on for still a long tell a little. I drag it out. Yeah, a that one longer. has some uh, hot, phlegmy thing at the beginning of it. That the other one's more subversive. It sneaks in. A, it's like a sport pepper laugh. Your first one. Hot, phlegmy thing. That was uh, my adult film star name, and uh, never got any work. So I changed it to sport pepper. <laughs> I saw you as hot fluffy yeah. thing in the uh, Ron Jeremy biopic <laughs> talking to myself literally. <laughs> boom 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 boom. What time's our guest going to I got don't about believe 10 a minutes. segue zone here yeah. before a man comes on with an important project. Yeah. He, We're over here doing this stuff. We'll call him in about 10 minutes. So we've got time for right. some merch. How much time would you like me to spend with a young man? Uh, 10 minutes or so, you know. I mean, if you feel like, uh, right. you know, wherever you feel it's at. What can, what should we do time-wise with this this year? Should we try to... Three and a half hours is apparently the uh, going rate for uh, podcasts. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the Irishman. My mistake. Oh, jeez. Well, listen, uh, let's just say Dak Shapper is my Obi-Wan. I mean, What's mine too. Do? I don't know how long has this. a good question. Fuck, my cord is stuck in my wheel. <laughs> not even my chair wheel. I didn't your headphones I've on. I've had working wheels either. put in. I have had wheels put on under my feet. <laughs> Wait a second, you mother. Get off there. Oh, God. He goes like two to three these, hours. Wait, how do these cords Jack get Shepard? this? Huh? He goes like two to three hours. What does Dax talk about? Is Wait, it? Does he have Kristen Bell on with him? Yes, that was oh, the best well then, episode oh, ever. Oh, if she's on all the time, no, I mean, not. I would. Oh, she I'm was not, just okay. on once. All right. 
Hey, Lindsay. What? Sorry, sorry. I got excited. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> spend five minutes outside the studio on our show before you binge listen to Dak Shepard. She's talking about it like it's a David Milch project. What you the fuck's he do? He was in Frozen. Better than us? Is he better than no, us? No, no, no. Not even close. I love. Christ almighty. I, I, I t- all 236. Jeez. I've had a diode, a microwave heater outlet put into my right temple, and I just stick a hinge in. She just handed me a note. Uh, he's better than you, but not better than me. So <laughs> that right. collectively means he's not better than us. I actually thank only you. That was one of our that was one of our goals this year is to keep our self deprecation more on a back channel. Yeah, no, 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 exactly. We just let Lindsay shit on us. Because <laughs> my studies show. Oh, and by the way, that was funny the other night. If you look it up, Christian, on Sports Center's yeah. Instagram page. Okay. Look that up, and you'll see Tom Brady. And the way they shot Brady, and he's such a big star, they put it up everywhere. You, you see only one person over his shoulder. It's my son, Marlon. Oh, that's great. And Marlon's, they everybody mistakes him on the Instagram <laughs> thing for uh, for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I see it now. Oh, that's A funny. lot of people are saying, uh, what about Aaron Rodgers behind Brady? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> And I said, uh, here's how kids are instinctual about the internet now that I'm not. There were so many people that would put that up, and then they'd have 200 likes on their thing about, hey, that's A-Rod behind, that I said, oh, uh, isn't that funny, Marlon? People actually mistook you for Aaron Rodgers. He yeah. said, no, Dad, that's a joke. They don't. Mis- they didn't mistake me. No. I said, really? There's so many of them. Not, not one of those people thought you. He said, no. It's just, so I don't speak internet ease. <laughs> No, I because I, I thought some people mistakenly thought because he kind of looked like a Rod in it. If you study it, you realize sure. it's not him. But uh, he said no. Every one of them was just laughing that there was somebody behind him. So I, I, I guess I, I don't have the uh, post ironic filter that I should for the internet. Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> and I sat next to Spade. It was oh. so funny. Spade. And I was making him laugh because uh, Holly Holm got into fight. Have you ever seen her? I, I know who she is, yeah. And I said to him, Amy Schumer coming and ripped for this. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept screaming out, Schumer! <laughs> Spade's funny. God, we laughed. And it was so funny. He had a, he had a show. He's with, at the Mirage with Ray Romano. And he's first, and, and I, I say, so he sits down next to me, close to eight, I think, or maybe, yeah. And I go, did you finish already? And he said, no, no, I still have to go on. We start late there. We start at 1030 because earlier in the evening they have somebody else in there. Wow. Some singing group or something. And I go, 1030? Well, he said, yeah, I have to leave here 935 at the latest. 940s or if I'm really putting myself at risk. Yeah, and the, so Connor, they finally get it on at around nine thirty-four, <laughs> and no. he says, "Christ, I'm gonna miss it." And I said, you know, "I've seen him knock a guy out in thirteen seconds. Maybe he'll take him out in the first round." Sure enough, forty seconds in, boom, he's out. Spades, I've got to go. Love you. Bye, out. <laughs> so he does get to oh, see. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so Connor must have known Spade had to get to his show. I said, yeah. "Can't you call Ray?" Can't you just text Ray and ask him to go on first? <laughs> Not that close. <laughs> what else is up in the world, Christian? There's a lot of stories to talk about, but I like the fun ones. You know, I'm not as, as interested well, pitch in, me a fun one, in the, the impeachment. Uh, this is what I consider a fun story. And you've up, you update these periodically because I feel yeah. like I've been on for no. four months now where you go, what about Gervais at the Globes the other night? Yeah, what about it? your tea up for me. <laughs> That's well, over now. this is the kind of story that makes me laugh. A, what do you uh, think causes you to sneeze? Do you think there's some sort of particles? That it, it just, it, you know, one of those simplistic uh, little slideshows you'd see in eighth grade. You know, they have a nuclear power. They'd show the, the deuterium-234 gang, you know, would sneak in in the little film clip you saw and steal some uh, electrons and imbalance the nuclei and explode the bomb. You know, and they'd come in like with, with that tiptoe something and a little mask <laughs> on like spy versus spy and take the, in, 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 in equalize the uh, fissionable material. Um, what, what would the cutaway chart or slideshow look like on a sneeze? Do little things form up 
towards the in between the bridge. This is how I feel it. I was just talking to you. I had no sneeze whatsoever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I had the sneeze and I felt like little particles or granulars or something up there. And I'm wondering, what do you feel right before you sneeze? Do you have warning that you're going to sneeze? Is it always a head cold or are you periodically just in your everyday and then all of a sudden a sneeze comes? Usually before I sneeze, I shit myself, like uncontrollably. <laughs> so that's when I know, like, uh-oh. So you're, op- you're, op- you're able to glean that tea leaf yeah. is what you're talking I'm like, uh-oh, this is going to be embarrassing. Somebody might wow. see me sneeze. So it's sort of like a queek quag rolling <laughs> the uh, fecal bones. You're able to interpret that and... Uh, <laughs> n- 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 <laughs> <laughs> Something about that makes me laugh. That something more major than the sneeze happens to yeah. tell you a sneeze is coming. And why did the Germans hatch? Uh, do you think the Germans hatched Gesundheit before or after they hatched the final solution? <laughs> well, it seems like such a like a weak, lame effort at joining the Society of Man. Yeah, and, I mean uh, that the Gesundheit well, project really... was the work of uh, of Skippy Hitler, you know, who really wasn't as dedicated, and you know, he kind of yeah. he worked half. You can days. just see them after yeah. they've uh, shit the bed, yeah. you know, for the all of time, and somebody sitting there and going, "Man, our PR is fucked." Yeah, Skippy oh, Hitler would more tell a German pancakes anymore. We really have to tidy <laughs> up our rep. Let's start blessing people who sneeze. Really? You think that's enough? You know, you can just see everybody yeah. around the table at the at the Hun PR firm going, yeah. well, I don't know. So it just always makes me uh, shake my head that the Germans have uh, the most indelicate of people, the, uh, the rampaging Teutons coming out of the primordial sl- swamp periodically, as uh, William Manchester wrote in The Great Arms of Krupp. Oh, that that end paragraph just blows me away, because he feels it'll happen again in the book. You know, he talks about them going back back into the primordial ooze, and then the, I think the end line in the book is waiting, 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 <laughs> which gives me goosebumps. Such a great writer, and yeah. So that for them to come up with some sort of placative effort to uh, reintroduce etiquette into their ibid. Uh, by blessing sneezes and strikes me as a uh, look. They're blessing a pound late and a dollar short, or they're they're, they're blessing daily. sneezes except for sneezes that are from the undesirables. You don't bless those sneezes. Hmm, that's interesting. That's the way I. Think. I wonder when Gesundheit first came up, and I wonder if uh, hmm. anyway, what else is up in the world. Well, let's see what else is up in the world. There was a story that I liked, made me laugh. Uh, you know, there's a there's an Excalibur sword in the stone at uh, Disneyland. And, you know, it's from the Sword in the Stone movie. So, you know, you try and you get your picture trying to pull it. Uh, I've seen it. Yeah. And uh, a burly... I'm afraid to touch it. <laughs> a burly Disneyland guest uh, broke Excalibur. A big, big, let's say a large fella. And he was trying to pull the stone, and uh, so it's broken now. So uh, he is not King Arthur, he's, but uh, now no one will ever be. So I, I, uh, I, you know, look, I like fat guy stories. But he didn't break it long-wise by trying to pull it out of stone. You, you mean he just twanged it? And, yeah, I mean. Because that sounds like, uh, that doesn't sound like, oh, I was too strong and I pulled it apart and they didn't intend that. That just sounds like asshole tourists you know, pushing it sideways and breaking it. Yeah. And then taking the broken half and putting a picture of, you know, cock and balls inside the bathroom <laughs> stall or something. It sounds like that sort of idiot. But uh, I, I think I've seen that. I'm always afraid to touch it. You know, at Punta Arenas, before you go to uh, Antarctica, you're supposed to kiss something, some statue there, and for good luck, and the crossing the Brent Sea or whatever the hell that place, or the Drake Passage, I think it's called. It's supposed to be the most turbulent water on earth. You're supposed to kiss this thing. And literally, I saw other people kissing it for a blessing. And I looked at Jules Holland, my travel mate to Antarctica, and I said, I'm not kissing. I said, oh, come on, kiss it. Don't be uptight. And he (laughs) kissed it. And then when we we arrived at 67 Parallel South, he had pyrrhea, and I was on the bridge. (laughs) I was Sir Francis Drake. 
No, he didn't. But he did kiss it. And I said, uh, it, we, there was the three of us. It was uh, Michael Palin, I, and Jules. And Michael Palin said, I'm not kissing it either. Yeah. <laughs> and I figured if Python doesn't. No. So no. I'm not Monty it. himself. There was a, there, there, this is a story that was held over from last week, but it's because I liked it so much. So uh, a United Airlines passenger tried to storm the cockpit, attacked the flight attendant as the plane was landing at the New Jersey airport before he then assaulted six cops on the tarmac. Now, I look for that story is because I'm just surprised you weren't on that flight. You know, it just <laughs> seems like the kind of thing that would keep you from getting to your destination. Have to be deranged at that point to attack a cockpit, right? Yeah. Whenever I hear that, I always just feel out of their minds on some drug. Probably took sleep Ambien or Xanax, right? Mm -hmm. And then thought, I'll knock this down with a couple stolies. Sure. And have no idea what they're doing. Because it's not like you sit there and think, I think it's the good time, you know, like you're reading the in-flight magazine, thinking of buying the port kiln there and wondering if you can just slide your card to a phone on the thing and have it waiting for you <laughs> on the other side of the flight. So you can throw some pots, you know, right there at the baggage carousel. But I don't think you're sitting there and go from that lucidity over to uh, you just running, smashing into the uh, cockpit door and then fighting six cops. So I always figure, out of their mind, didn't Chris Catan end up on the 405 one night, uh, you know, like uh, thought he was in... Uh, Show business? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... Damien Chazelle, yeah. La La Land. We uh, thought it's time to dance on the roofs of cars, and somebody said, "No, no." no I no. don't. I don't have a lot of showbiz grudges, but uh, you know, you just remember the people who are nice to you when you're an intern. Tim Meadows, great guy. Will Farrell, great guy. Other people, yeah, not so much. Was Chris not nice to you? Ah, uh, not. How much interaction could you have had with him as a? Uh, but uh, did we meet? By the way, uh, no, I met you on the uh, the TV show. All right. And I wasn't a prick to you right away, was I? No, no. I earned that right to ha let you be Listen, a prick I'm to sure me. sure there's some people out there who have found me a prick on first uh, meeting. But not you. I was just indifferent yeah. to you. You know, living with chronic pain is the worst. It's more than a feeling of discomfort. It can affect your whole life. Many of my listeners probably have some type of pain that has prevented them from relaxing, sleeping, or stopped them from exercising. Perhaps it's been ongoing for a few weeks now and hasn't improved with any of the treatments they've tried. I went to two workouts in a row last week, which is kind of silly to do them back to back. I think as you get older, it's more important you adhere to the day off in between thing. And I don't want to, this is nothing to brag about when you remember Herschel Walker doing 10,000 sit-ups a day, but I was able to do 200 sit-ups each day in a row, which is pretty good for me. You know, it's not exactly I'm ripped and distended like Adam West in season two. But I got up to 200 sit-ups on the two days and my back was shot. And I'm going, flying into Vegas to see the fight the other night. And so I've got to sit on the plane. I've got to sit there for, I, I get there early. And so I was in essence there for four hours. Sitting in my in their nice padded uh, seats that Dana White has there at the uh, T-Mobile Arena, and thank you, Dana White, for your uh, generosity. Always so nice to us. And but I I must admit that I broke out the cryo freeze before I went. I did some stretches. I did that one where you tuck your right heel, you you lay back flat, tuck your right heel right under your left hip, and then pull it into you, and it squeezes some little antechamber in your ass. And loosens you up from that direction. You know, when that's the thing you find about uh, when the small of your back's hurting. You almost have to do the thing above it and the thing below it to get the whole, you know, uh, illegal alien lane on the 405 flowing smoothly. So I did a little of that, and then I threw on some cryo-freeze and uh, sat easily through the fight, woke up the next day. I'm going to have to use a little more when I get off here because I noticed just sitting back here with my feet kicked up at the desk, my lower back's hurting a little, but I've got a friend in Jesus and cryo-freeze. Enter Omax Health. If you're looking to get rid of nagging muscle and joint pain immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, then you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, cryo-freeze CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health. This non-prescription, triple-action pain relief roll-on is specially formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. And when I say joint, 
I don't mean the THC. I mean the CBD, which is the Amish part. Joint flexibility. The best part is this 100% natural CBD-powered remedy works its magic within 10 minutes of application, and relief lasts up to eight hours, much longer than over-the-counter products. And like I said, the other night I put it on before I split hair. I left at 3.30. I got home at 11.30, and my back was good the whole day, so there's my eight hours. Flew into Vegas, caught the flight, flew back. How's that for living my best life, Christian? I love that. I mean, you, and you, you skip the Shake Shack part. That's really the part I'm focused on, not the flying. What would you do Saturday night? Make a little fucking plastic plane model? Omax Health it's called is, offering my, is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on plus free shipping. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to Omax, O-M-A-X-Health.com today. Enter code Miller. That's O-M-A-X-Health.com. Enter code Miller. You get 20% off cryo-freeze and anything else site-wise. Still not sold? I can tell you pro athletes such as PGA golfer Kyle Stanley uses cryo-free CBD to recover both on and off the course. If it works within 10 minutes, you can do that in a tee box while you wait people to clear the green at the par 3. And go look at the product reviews. 95% five-star reviews, page after page of customers saying they've tried everything, and Omax CryoFreeze is so good they are now buying it for their family and friends too. Anyone from athletes to Grandma Josie, who happens to be an athlete, and I believe just beat Babe Didrikson Zaharias's uh, ghost in a match play tournament with Bobby Jones's ghost at Augusta, can benefit from immediate pain relief. You have pain that won't go away, then you qualify for Omax Cryo-Free. Simply roll it over where it hurts, ice out the pain. No messy creams or horrible fragrances like those of some other products. Cryo-Freeze works within 10 minutes of application, improving physical training, recovery, and performance. So go to omaxhealth.com, enter code Miller, you get 20% off Cryo-Freeze. Anything else site-wise, I'm telling you, you specifically, this product is the real deal. O-M-A-X-Health.com, enter code Miller, and you get 20% off CryoFreeze and anything else site-wide. And I thank you. I want to test and see if our uh, guest is on the line. Lindsay's been working feverishly, and I don't know if Mr. Robinson is there. I am here. There he is. Well, here's to you, Todd Robinson. <laughs> Joe, Joe's left. Todd, can I tell you Joe DiMaggio's story real quickly? Uh, absolutely. When he got 56 games in a row, he missed one game and then hit for 18 in a row. He conceivably would have had a 75-game hitting streak. After the 56th game, everybody in the New York Yankee locker room was celebrating, uh, not the end of it, but rather the fact that he had made it to 56. It was something that would never be broken. One of the young rookies saw Joe sitting in front of his locker, not joining in the reindeer games, pensive, holding a piece of paper in his hand. He went over and he said, Joe, come on, have a beer with us. We can't believe we play with the great Joe D. You're a god. This will live forever. And DiMaggio goes, oh, fuck it. And he holds up the paper he's reading. It's from the Heinz Ketchup Company. And there was a $10,000 offer on the table to do a commercial, which was money back then, if he hit 57 games because they had 57 varieties of product. And he was pissed at himself that he didn't get the 57th game. Just a little fun fact for you, Todd Robinson. Ain't life just like that. <laughs> yes, it is. You get to 56 games and you still walk away disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Todd oh, Robinson. <laughs> His latest film is The Last Full Measure. It will be released this Friday, January 24th. For more information, go to thelastfullmeasurefilm.com. And uh, I'm going to get uh, serious here because this is a serious matter. And uh, um you can talk about all the inequities of life, but when you put your life on the line for others and get to a Congressional Medal of Honor vetting and find out that there's something on the other side of that that nobody foresaw, I'm sure this will be depicted uh, in, a, uh, in a meaningful way. I see the cast includes Bill Hurt, Christopher Plummer, Diane Ladd, Ed Harris, Samuel L. Jackson, um, Sebastian Stan, not familiar with him, and the late Peter Fonda. Tell us about The Last Full Measure, Todd. Well, first of all, it's really nice to talk to you, Dennis. Thank you for having me. Um, this is a, 
uh, in many ways a modest film and uh, and having uh, anybody shine a light on it is, is deeply appreciated. Um, the Last Full Measure is uh, the story of William Hart Pitsenbarger, who was an Air Force pararescue medic in Vietnam back in 1966, uh, who was tasked with descending from a jungle penetrator from the helicopter into the middle of a triple canopy jungle where Charlie Company of the Big Red One had been ambushed by uh, 134 Americans had been ambushed by about 700 hardened Viet Cong. And it was one of the bloodiest battles of the war up until that time. And Pitsenbarger volunteered to go down to help organize, triage, and evacuate the wounded. And uh, eventually was offered, ordered actually, to take the last basket out and get back on the helicopter and refused. And ultimately stayed, fought with these men whom he did not know, and ultimately gave his life. But what the movie is actually about is the 34-year journey that the veterans of that battle uh, took to ensure that his valor was actually acknowledged in the form of the Medal of Honor. And it took them 34 years to get it before Congress with the help of a young uh, Washington bureaucrat played by Sebastian Stan, who your audiences will know from uh, as Bucky Barnes in the uh, uh, in the Marvel Universe, uh, The Winter Soldier. And he's a remarkable young actor. Uh, who's, I, he was in I, Tanya. He played uh, her husband. And uh, he's just a phenomenal talent. And uh, it's just an amazing story. And uh, it took me another 20 years to get it made, which is uh, the, the Hollywood sort of uh, angle to it all. So uh, all in all, I think we're up to 54 years since wow. he gave his life. Well, ironic that Stan would go from playing uh, aide-de-camp to a fictional uh, Captain America, and then uh, this is full circle for him, playing with a, a true uh, superhero and a true Captain America. Tell me um, how, why Stan's attempt, usually aren't they pretty decent about this? I've only met one Congressional Medal of Honor. It was Dakota Meyer, and he was an impressive cap, something akin to this, but you know, going back down a road to haul people out, I think, 30 times or something. And I, I'm wondering, usually when something stands out like this, it is honored. What was uh, what was Scott Huffman's problem here, getting this Congressional Medal of Honor request honored? So back in 66, in the midst of this battle, which was really a debacle, it was part of something called Operation Abilene, which was really a, a sort of a large force engagement where various companies were going out into the jungle on search and destroy mis missions. And in this case, uh, Charlie Company was being used as the tip of the spear. They were being driven out into this, uh, into this jungle environment where they were trying to engage a battalion-sized force called D-800. And uh, Alpha and Bravo companies, if you can imagine this, were paralleling them, and they were going to sweep in behind once contact was made. But what no one knew at the time embedded in this jungle were forests of bamboo that were virtually impenetrable. So it was really a setup to, you know, sort of cut the head off the snake of this American force. And... And when this all sort of broke, it was, you know, clearly embarrassing. And the war was, right. you know, just starting to go badly. And so what the veterans, uh, with the benefit of, you know, 50 years of reflection, believe actually happened, is that the request went up the chain from the mud soldiers all the way up from Saigon through the Pentagon to the White House and was kicked back down as an Air Force cross. It went to Johnson and McNamara. And it is... You know, we, we can only guess, but we believe that, you know, an enlisted guy getting the Medal of Honor when another officer yes. for the same action was also given the Medal of Honor would have brought so much focus on this that it, it would have uh, illuminated. Proved that, that to be the good. debacle it was. Exactly. Yeah. Well, fuck McNamara. And one has to only watch uh, Errol Morris's stunning. Brilliant award of, Yeah. 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 Uh, you talk about people who will uh, ring in infamy. Anyway, who assisted Huffman's character in his mission? I see uh, uh, other actors, Bill Hurt, Chris Plummer, Diane Ladd. How do they figure into the story? Well, it's, it's interesting and personal for me because uh, the construction of this script really 
uh, came out of my own interviewing the, the, the veterans of that battle. And a lot of the dialogue was easy to just sort of transpose into the film because it, it's so emotional and powerful. There was a young man who inspired the character of Scott Huffman named Parker Hayes, uh, who, who had been tasked with this this job of creating a, a package to present to Congress. And he was the first guy to interview these veterans. And they, they told their story for the very first time to him. I was introduced to him. He gave me that list, and I was the second person. So mm-hmm. it was still very raw and, uh, and powerful. And uh, so he was assisted by the Secretary of the Air Force, Whit Peters, who has uh, become a friend, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, along with the veterans and uh, their wives and families and, um, and other people at the Pentagon who eventually took this on and made it their cause as well. Well, I'll tell you what, Todd, I see your curriculum vitae here, and certainly there's some things that grab my eye. I, I loved Wag Squaw. I had no idea. Not as familiar with Lonely Hearts, but you talk very infrequently in Hollywood you get called to a sacred task. And this this seems sacred to me. The last full measure, by the way, is what I'm talking about, folks. It is a film which will be released this Friday, January 24th. For more information, go to thelastfullmeasurefilm.com. We're talking to the director Todd Robinson, and it is the true story of uh, the long and winding road to seeking some sort of honor for Vietnam War hero William H. Pitsenbarger, who literally is one of those guys who they say somebody has to stand up to signal that helicopter, and he's going to get shot, and you stand up. You know, I saw a movie like that. There's always these guys you think, God, they must just be at the crossroads of every man and Superman. And they opt for the latter, and it often costs them their life. So I can't, I can't wait to see this. And uh, it, it is a sacred calling, in a way, to serve these men, isn't it? It really is. It, it really is. And uh, I, I, I worry that I'll never get another one because it is such a, a powerful, powerfully satisfying experience to screen this movie. For we, We've done, I think, 60 screenings since last March to, for military audiences. And uh, some of them, including what I'm doing tonight here in Atlanta, will include veterans from that that battle. Wow. And when you when you see them come together, and you, I have people come up to me, um, children who will come up to me, adult children, of course, and they'll say to me, you know, I didn't understand my father until I saw this film. Mm-hmm. And in a time when we are so politically divided, when there's so much it seems that we no longer have commonality in, a story like this, an action like this, is one of those things, like war itself, because, you know, Dennis, when these guys are in a foxhole and they're getting shot at and life is on the line, they're not thinking about what color the guy is next to them or what faith the guy is on the other side of them. They're not thinking about those things. They're thinking about complete, utter commitment and survival. And when you see a guy like Pitsenbarger coming down, really just um, you know, embodying the, the best of what a human being can be and willing to give that last full measure of devotion, yeah. as Lincoln said, uh, it, it's, it's really just it, – it, it just may, it makes your heart swell. And uh, and there's something in this movie at this moment in time, I think, for everybody. And the beauty and the power, the magic of going into that dark room and willfully having a common experience with strangers. Uh, it couldn't be uh, this movie couldn't be better suited uh, than for that experience. How, how can I put this? Uh, there are times I find politicians most times, to be honest, wanting. I look at John Kerry periodically, and I find him wanting as a politician. And then I'm reminded that as a young Brahmin in Beantown, he had eight million ways to dodge that calling. And all of a sudden, he's on a shit, dark tributary in a flatboat, and I don't give a fuck all these people who come on and say, oh, he's wounded in the foot. Was that? Oh, forget all that. You're cruising down that thing in the middle of the dark, and you never know when you can get blown away. And I kind of throw the politics aside and go what what is that that's triviality he answered the call so guy yeah i'm fascinated by soldiers Dennis, I, often, I, I, I gotta interrupt you i can't believe you brought up john Kerry because this summer i was invited to screen this movie privately for him mm-hmm. at his home and i screened the movie for him and he was brought to tears 
And before I left, I was just trying to make a hasty exit because I didn't want to take up his time. He said, before you go, I want to show you something. And he took me into his private office, and he had a museum-quality model of his Swiss boat. And he showed it to me, and he was passionate about that and about the men. And I had read all about what happened to him. That guy carries shrapnel in his legs to this day. And, and his medals were on the wall. And his greatest pride is that, is that military service. And he was shamed with it. And I don't think it was cool. Politics aside. No, I agree with you. It, folks, it, it separates the men from the boys, and it separates trivialities from true, uh, the right stuff. I mean, that's such a great thing that those guys came up with, uh, the, the astronauts. But the, these men had the right stuff when it mattered, and it carries a long cachet. When I saw McCain at the end come in with that fake dramatic thumbs-up, thumbs-down thing, for a moment I said, oh, Christ, what are we watching, a Roadrunner cartoon here? And then I remembered at one point he was in that shithole, and they said, you can go due to the odd etiquettes of war and the fact that your old man's in sink pack or something. And he said, no, no, I'll wait my time. Now, fuck, think about that, folks. Well, whatever comes in the wake of that can irk you for a second, but uh, you've got to get back to the hard drive issue that <laughs> when, when they were placed in the belly of the beast, they answered the call. And that's what this movie is about. A man, imagine that, folks. It's like when you see they make movies all the time about guys jumping out of helicopters in float jackets to rescue yachtsmen who have gone into the Bermuda Triangle and all that shit. These are guys who are going into a, uh, a, a jungle. Uh, you, you know, where men are laid out. When they get there, they have to face the unfaceable. And then stays when he's, I believe, the last man off the Hanoi roof of the embassy was a man named Frank Schnepp, a CIA operative. I always thought, geez, imagine being the last guy out. He had a chance to be the last guy out, and he said, no, I'll stay, and he died. And there's very, there's a handful of men figuratively speaking and the billions of people who've trod this planet who have answered that in the right way so god bless him god bless his memory and god bless todd robinson our director the latest film is the full last full measure i should say it'll come out this friday january 24th for more information go to lastfullmeasurefilm.com and it is the true story of vietnam war hero william h pitzenbarger Remember that name, because that is the name of a man. All right. Thank you, Toddy. And uh, I, I feel happy for you that you get to present this, because in a Hollywood, half the time I walked around in Hollywood, it felt like a phony. And then periodically you're summoned to do something for these guys. And I know that my head, when my head hit the pillow, I slept the sleep of angels, which you must be doing right now. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate your time. All right, brother. Talk at you down the road. Todd A-OK. I believe that was the old sound studios for most Danny Thomas sitcoms. Todd A-O. Todd A-O. And uh, Todd Robinson? A-OK. Yeah, he's A-OK. All right, so that was Todd Robinson, and uh, those stories are wipeouts. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, you can go down and do that and be a hero for life, and even sit on the story if you want and take the last thing out. But imagine when <laughs> there's the bookends on the human condition. Bruce Ismay taking the third lifeboat from the end to get off something that he built half-assed and made rush, <laughs> i.e. the Titanic. Right. <laughs> and then there's this guy who deserves the last slot and would not have been begrudged. And it'd be intriguing to find out who gets that last slot instead of him. And did he do the Saving Private Ryan thing and earn this, as Tom so eloquently said to Damon in that? It's a further inner conclave of heroism that uh, very few people are summoned to and very few people answer it in the right manner. And uh, I don't know. It would seem that it would serve that man's lineage in perpetuity that they knew somewhere when they went way back. They did not find, as Manchester said, the Hun in the ooze. But rather, <laughs> they found that man and staying there and uh, dying for it. Unfucking believable. God bless you, William H. Pitsenbarger. Hmm. 
What else are we going to do, Christian? What else are we doing today? Well, let's uh, let's do a little uh, reset with uh, let's get a voicemail in here. We haven't played any yet today, so uh, we have a voicemail number. Five. I'm with you, brother. <laughs> we have a. Voicemail. I'm with you, soul man. It is number five. Am, am I culturally appropriate? If yes. you culturally appropriate Black America in such a white manner, you don't even get up to really cultural appropriating, do you? Yeah, I think that uh, you can't be sidled with that. Can you? You can't be. If you do it like, uh, you know, in a completely Whitey McWhite way, it's only when like Al Gore goes into a bath. I've seen, you know, where it always made me wince. Hallelujah. But, uh, <laughs> if I say to you, lay some knowledge on me, soul man. <laughs> See, I was imagining that you were culturally appropriating the film Soul Man where C. Thomas Howell's in blackface for the whole movie. You know, a film that no. certainly wouldn't get made. No, it's from the 80s. 1986. It's a comedy. Now, I'm always amazed that uh, that he could face some sort of uh, problems for that if that came up. Now he sort of put a uh, force field around it by making it so utterly inconsequential. Sure. That's all you can bank on. Now, right. The exactly. work was so inconsequential that nobody wants to go back and find it. But I saw something came up. Bob Downey had to answer questions yeah. about that great film Tropic. Is it Tropic Thunder? Tropic Thunder. Yeah. Yeah. Where the, the point of the character was an actor being an ass-kissy, unctuous guy by yeah. appropriating blackness. And he exactly. still had to answer a question. <laughs> but uh, C. Thomas Howe, due to the uh, below-the-line <laughs> nature of the project. <laughs> no, and I'm, I listen, I've seen C. Thomas Howe in some great things. Yeah. I see him in that I really enjoyed him. Uh, something recent, not just uh, you know the, the high school varsity club that takes on Russia. Um, but <laughs> Red Dawn. Something recently, or is very good, but um, he uh, he won't have to answer for that because I don't think anybody remembers it. Uh, Christian, have you? Or, or, or let, let's face facts. It depends if his politics are right, right? Yeah, you could slip that in a second. I think so. Look yeah. at Ralph Northam now is now the he, the hero of Black America, right? It wasn't. It wasn't that long ago that uh, he was supposed to resign over the. And now he he says that he's going to spend all his time working for yeah. equity, uh, whatever. You know, to me, what exists without you pronouncing it, and uh, and but if I remember correctly, am I allowed to say what he had called what he called himself in that picture? Or no, I don't even want to. Open I, I, that I I wouldn't. It, there's no reason to say it. Well, you know what. His name was in parentheses, his right. nickname, and he's one of the two people in that thing. And if you're on the right side of it, i.e. he or Trudeau, I guess you're just safe, right? Yeah. Because I can remember some old guy. Who was that goofball guy who sang in a barbershop quartet and had a... Uh, he was a senator from Mississippi. Was Trent, Trent Lott? Lott, yeah. Didn't he say something positive about uh, an older guy who was uh, not quite... You know, full war Klansmen like uh, um, Robert Byrd, or you know, uh, not not uh, completely anti. Yeah, it was strong immigration like Al Gore's old man. You yeah. know, akin to that, and uh, was a, he was he was marked. He didn't he wasn't in blackface when he said it. He was just he was out. You know, yeah. and he said, "Wait a second, you know, I didn't mean that. I'm fucking square. I'm in a barbershop quartet." They said, yeah. "You're gone." It was the 100th but, uh, birthday party of Strom Thurmond, and he was, uh, Thurmond had been someone who had, I guess, uh, campaigned heavily in favor of uh, segregation. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. well, as I understand, Biden said some stuff on uh, some of these issues way back when, and he's still the front runner for the Democratic. Yeah. He looks so ding to me. I saw him the other night. I know his eyes aren't bleeding every time I see him, but something's gone <laughs> with his eyes. He looks weird, doesn't he? A little yeah. It's like, uh, did you ever have a German Shepherd and keep it in the basement at night and you look down and you can just see its eyes as you shut the basement door? He's got some of that going. I mean, I had a little brother we did that with, but same difference. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Christian's surname is DeFreeze. He was under the Sabinese <laughs> Liberation Army under Donald DeFreeze. He, he would often, I think he snuck in oatmeal cookies to Patty Hearst when she was in the closet at night. And I don't mean sexually. Yeah, that was out about... Tanya ruled the roost over there, but Sing Q. I used to do a comedian character in my act named Sing Q very much. <laughs> anyway, what else is up, Christian? Uh, what else? Oh, we're going to listen to voicemail number five. Let's hear that. 
Well, we're one in four, one through four. I'm always fascinated by this. So Lindsay puts it together. How yeah. many total are on the sheet? Well, uh, this one. Just give me a fucking number. We have five. Well, on this how one. can you? How can I say how many are on the sheet? And your answer is well. Uh, well, what numbers next to the one at the bottom of the piece of paper? I didn't want to budge and lift up the paper. So that's why I said, well, uh, that was my moment to go I like understand this. that. Tell me that. Now I don't need to know it. If you have a legit reason like that, I understand the need not to burn caloric energy. So that that's a reason. Now, I don't want to know what the bottom <laughs> one is because I don't want you to have to lift a finger. My blood sugar but is very low But don't give me this now. bullshit euphemism thing. I, I'm not, you know, we're on the... Uh, we're on the, the like and as part of the SATs here, not the essay question. <laughs> so give me what? Give me number five. Oh, now. Hey, Dennis, here we go. Uh, I'm rebelling. Lindsay, what? what Lindsay's hey, like, it Richard Lewis used to do that great joke about uh, Monty Clift after the car wreck when he would go to visit his grandmother and uh, out in Studio City and he was so shaky that to buzz him in she had to hold on to the buzzer for four seconds for him to get over from the, the intercom to the front door. Lindsay's got, you've got that sort of... Uh, My reactions are, are quick. Yeah, your reaction time is a little shaky. Well, to be fair, you didn't hear it right before she pushed it. She went, Come on. Oh, Get a hey, manicure Dennis. on that cloven hoof and hit that button, girl. Hey, Dennis, this is your favorite Air Force Uber Comfort driver from Pittsburgh. You need to take on the road this whole TCM uh, movie review thing. I'm talking about take a panel of three people, you, Carvey uh, Lovitz, you, Carvey Victoria Jackson, you and Toots is a driving cat and somebody else. Take it on the road, watch a, a movie with your audience, and do commentary during this whole thing. I'm telling you, brother, that would be a gold mine. That would be, I would pay top dollar to watch you watch a movie and talk about it and review it. Take it on the road, brother. I always enjoy the podcast. Best Christian and Lindsay, you guys take care. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I'd like to do that, but I, I think TCM has their team, and I think they'll, they're nice to me. They let me do the film festival, and uh, I'd like to do the cruise this year. But I don't think I've got another Dennis Miller and Friends. I thought that went pretty well, Christian, but I, I don't know. I thought so, yeah. I mean, we we still get uh, voicemails about it. You know, people uh, really enjoyed those. Well, I'd like to, but like I said, they've been nice to me, and I shouldn't uh, you know, hey, know your position. You can say that they're nice to you and just say I would love to do more with them. It's fine. You know? Yeah, I'd like to do a TCM thing, but I don't. Uh, they have their – that's their brand, and I don't know that they want me to – affiliated with it to that degree because, you know, there's a lot of... I, although I used to never understand it. I, I never seem as political as Alec Baldwin was, right? And no, a lot of time absolutely not. And I never seem half as rancorous. But what are you going to do? But Ileana and I have talked about going out and uh, doing it. But I wonder if you do live commentary not in a completely... If you run into litigation with the Mystery Science Theater guys, right? No, or I mean, there's they other... only own you pissing on it. No, I mean, there's other people, there's other, you know, groups that do that, what they do, you know, just sort of like they're known for it. But it doesn't mean that, you know, people who have worked on that show in the past, there have been, you know, different competing versions of it. But uh, I don't I don't think you would. Well, I, I often think about doing a second podcast on movies. But I wouldn't want to do it unless you don't like movies like I or you like. No, I do. I mean, I just I, I, as we established last week, I, I, I like movies. Lindsay, can you ask around there and see if anybody would be interested in Ileana and I doing a podcast? Yes, I can. We have an idea for one called She and He instead of He and She. <laughs> and we watch films about, you know, like uh, Adam's Rib or where there's a man and a woman and then talk about it. We're, you know, all films have men and women. You know what I mean? It's more sure, of a. Sure two equal totems in the film and there's a million of those we could watch and uh, talk about them so see although I, i'm meeting with uh, a woman named hurley kelly 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 hurley yeah is she nice yeah she's great she's Sounds really great like she wants to help out here on the podcast this year because we should make it more of an effort to grow it not that we've been working counter to that but i've been trying to grow it through you know complete insouciance you can see it might be more <laughs> Uh, you know, I was trying to make this the place to come and hang your hat on a on a hook that then melted like a watch and a dally lift. Your hat <laughs> fell on the floor. <laughs> Not working. Got to come up with a better. <laughs> what did I used to do uh, when I first met Carolyn? I used to do watch jokes. I said, uh, I don't want to say my wife's biological clock is ticking, but Harold Lloyd's hanging up in the swing hat. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't think uh, in all the time I've known you, I don't think I've ever done this. But uh, um, can you talk about the uh, International House of Pancakes? Oh yeah, my first Letterman joke. <laughs> well, what I do today? Got out and had breakfast at the International. That's where I invented that cadence. <laughs> My whole career built on that's international. Carvey's impression right there. Yeah, that's his whole, that's his whole thing, right? House of pancakes. <laughs> I can't remember. As soon as I walked in, I realized it was a very uh, continental vibe. I, uh, my syrup steward helped me with selection. <laughs> I had a uh, very dry maple. Busy. Never put <laughs> I think that was my first. Maybe that was my second joke. I think the first one might have been uh, flew in yesterday. Only traveled by plane. Don't like trains. Don't like any form of transportation where the general public has access to the braking system. <laughs> Hate to find out we went off the tracks at 200 miles an hour because Gus thought he saw a woodchuck. <laughs> I remember that caught Letterman in the solar plexus, Gus and Woodchuck. And then there's the vagaries of your career. If your first joke croaks. And by the way, I watched Spade's first Carson the other night. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful, man. I'm telling you, folks, give it a watch. It's out there somewhere, YouTube, no doubt. And Spade's first couple things don't go. And I'll tell you what Ooh. a beast he is, man. You watch. He really hangs in. And there's no sweat at all. It's more impressive than coming out and, you know, bing, bing, bing right off the front. Because the first couple things, uh, they don't quite get him yet. They don't quite know. He looks so young, but he says something like, eh, nice to be here. My mom just dropped me off. You know, and it kind of like <laughs> yeah. lays there. It shouldn't. And if he had done it like a few minutes later when they were endeared to him, it would have worked. But I, I just watched him rope-a-dope for a second. I thought, man, Johnny Carson, 12 feet away, good for you. <laughs> Just to hang, because that's, a, I'm telling you, you need pretty immediate feedback. I got it from Letterman, and boy, I felt fucking in like Scaramooch, man. I was invincible. I was carving Z's onto people's chests with my rapier. But uh, that first one croaks. That's where you earn your money. And uh, Spade did it, so good for him. Did uh, um, I, I don't remember if it was on our show or a different interview, but Spade's talked about that, where like the guy who books the the comics was like, Look, it's your first time. He's not going to call you over the couch. Don't worry about it. Just don't think about it. And he like hammered it into his head. So Spade missed the fact that Johnny actually called him Man, over the Johnny couch. Johnny did call him. Yeah, over. and he didn't go over because it was Marty. It was Marty sitting with the, yeah oh, Marty okay. Short sitting with Johnny. And Johnny looks at me and says, "So so excited. He wouldn't even come over." <laughs> oh, I love that. See, I mean, well, listen, it's trippy. I love that. Carson knows your name. It blows yeah. my mind. I got to go back and find that thing he wrote for New Yorker Rules of the Universe. Or have I read that on here? You mentioned it. Uh, I don't. I, I've I heard actually you found it. Uh, it was his first. He did two things after he left the Tonight Show where he kind of did something for the public. One was. Uh, the first year, I believe, he gave the Teacher of the Year award. And then I never had the courage to ask him. Although I think I called Johnny a couple of times after he left or called his office and got a call back. And isn't that weird? I just remembered that I have dreams since then where we hang together. Dreams are weird. I, I didn't even think of that till right now. But the image of Carson was in my head and uh, I had, I've had dreams about having dinner with him and being his friend. So that's what a big dent Johnny Carson makes on you. So for Spade to hold the fucking, uh, you know, it's like you're trying to land a Piper Cub on a, escarpment in a windstorm so for him to hang on to that stick and balance the wings is pretty amazing because <laughs> when i first met carson i could barely talk and i was in my dressing room so uh good for him uh but uh yeah marty short sitting next to johnny and uh <laughs> he looks like he's 12 but of course marty now it, it must be in his late 60s looks like he's f f 49 yeah so, uh uh, when he was 49, he, you know, literally was still in the amniotic sac. Uh, what else are we going to do? Well, uh, before we uh, wind things down, I wanted to know if you had uh, caught either of the uh, NFL games and your thoughts on the Super Bowl. I, You know what? I'm going to – I picked uh, the two underdogs. Correct. And uh, I'm done with – I don't think anybody can stop Mahomes. That being said, well, you know, I I have – I'm the worst picker in the world uh, as far as – except nose. <laughs> 
And then those, unlike that metal twang coming down and retrieving a plush pink panther out of a glass tin cage at the arcade. I don't think Mahomes can be stopped. So I'm just going to shut up and say Mahomes, whatever team. If Mahomes plays on the 49ers in some odd circumstances that day, I'm picking the 49ers. Yeah, if they trade him. If Mahomes plays for the Chiefs, I'm picking them. What if he plays for the Jets? Worldly. Them. The Jets. (laughs) That's how you know he's good. (laughs) Just uh, unbelievable talent. And that run, just I'll tell you one thing about the uh, the the Kansas City Chiefs that I've noticed over the last few weeks is nobody tiptoes the sidelines quite like them. And I don't just mean on that toe touch catch thing that Raymond Berry perfected. I mean just traipsing the sidelines. They they get right up to it, and they don't go out a lot. They kind of turn up then and get a few more yards, and uh, they're. They're, they use the whole field, and they use it adeptly. So, and trust me, San Francisco looked great, but uh, I'm, I'm sick of missing the point on Mahomes. So I'm going to say him. And the games were dragged to me. I don't, you know, it's uh, yeah. when it's not going the way. Uh, and I can see that part of my picks is I love underdogs, you know, just tr- anyway. And I like Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, but he, you know, he wasn't ready. For the game, he shouldn't have went to the fight and sat behind Tom Brady the night before. <laughs> that was really the mistake, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And um, um, who now, am I like in the Super Bowl? Mahomes. Now you Whatever like underdogs because for. you've always had a, a soft spot for sweet poly purebred, right? I mean, that's really why you like underdogs. Nice, Todd. Was that the big guy? Uh, I remember Simon Bar Sinister's yeah. uh, sort of Lenny Mice and Men. Sidekick, I think his name was Todd. I'm trying to find um, him, yeah. But assure me of this, just so I don't have to go down this thing, because I think I've frozen that whole underdog. She's a dog, right? Yes, Holy she's a dog. Bread? Absolutely. Okay. She's just not Christ, a mutt. You know, your mind goes back. You don't want to end up in some sort of bestiality cul-de-sac where a local news anchor who's a woman is with a underdog. No, those are the kind of movies I watch. That's not uh, that's Underdog the podcast. Didn't really hit you over the head with his canine no. uh, <laughs> roots, but I do remember that episode where he came dragging his ass across the carpet in that one episode, scooching into the room, doing that rectal luge thing that the dogs do. And uh, I thought I said, I don't need you to put it in my face. That you're a dog, <laughs> you're a superhero, we, we man get up. It. Use some sort of laser fission to burn that itch out of your anal fissure. All right, we started weird. (laughs) We've ended weirder. Thanks for listening to The Dennis Miller Option, exclusively on Westwood One. Tune in to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on the Westwood One app, westwoodone.com, and on Apple Podcasts. And remember to rate, review, and share. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.